food, one of the most important resources on earth. And in our current times, it is abundant. So abundant, in fact, that it is often taken for granted, and the origin and production of the food is rarely questioned. Unfortunately, it is not all that it seems. Agriculture has been in practice for thousands of years. Traditional agricultural methods were usually sustainable and environmentally friendly, but more human labor was needed and harvest sizes were smaller because of a lack of technology. Agricultural technology advancements allowed crops to be grown more efficiently with less labor, but more unsustainably. Advancements such as plows and tillers allow soil to be loosened and weeds to be temporarily eradicated, but decrease soil fertility and increase erosion. Monoculture methods allow for easier planting and harvesting, but heavily tax the soil and put the crops more at risk of disease. GMOs allow ideal traits in plants and animals to be concentrated, but there is much debate to the safety, health, and benefits of GMO. Chemical fertilizers allow plants to grow in depleted soils, but greatly decrease the nutritional value of the food and is the main contributor to water pollution. War brought an answer to a big agricultural issue. In World War II, scientists researching better chemicals for explosives invented synthetic pesticides. Synthetic pesticides are designed to kill farm pests, including bugs, weeds, and fungi. But they also, unfortunately, kill and harm many other organisms, including humans. And even though we have an abundance of food, poor distribution has led to extreme food waste. Our main agricultural systems are unsustainable, an environmental threat, and, frankly, a risk to our health. But with a little knowledge and action, you can change everything. Judging by our intro, we have a lot of things to talk about today. The land agriculture of our plants is a very big topic. The U.S. alone has over 300 million people to feed. As such, there are quite a few different ways to provide food. Really? I know there are a lot of kinds of food, and obviously each kind needs some different care, but isn't greenhouses versus fields the end of it? Not exactly. While some plants will do better in the field, or in the greenhouse, or even a different country, farmers themselves can make different decisions on what methods they use to get the best crop. Like? Well, a farmer that's growing the field might choose monoculture versus polyculture. The kinds of crops they choose to grow is important too. For example, blueberries love acidic soil, while some beans prefer their soil to be more basic. Farmers definitely have their work cut out for them. They even have to decide how to best nurture and tend their plants. You mean fertilizer and weeding? Yes, but farmers also have to worry about a bunch of pests throughout all their land too. I remember one year, I tried to grow a small cabbage garden, and I was running up and down the yard picking off cabbage worms for days. Farmers typically have much bigger plots of land too, so they can't afford to run up and down their vegetable rows like that. Is this where we're going to talk about pesticides? You know me well. Pesticides are a range of insect repellents, while herbicides are a range of plant control. Not all of them are chemical-based, but always read the fine print. While it's unsurprising that chemicals can wreak havoc on the people that consume or inhale them, sometimes we mess up on the natural stuff too. For example, a substance called rotenone is naturally made in the stems and leaves in a certain plant. Thus, it was hailed as a safe and organic pesticide. Fast forward a bit of research later, and rotenone was found to be attacking human mitochondria. The powerhouse of the cell! Yes. So, rotenone was fatal. It joined the list of pesticides that have been linked to cancer, neurological disorders, and nervous system diseases. Unfortunately, rotenone is still dumped into our waters due to being used as a fish-killing agent and general pesticide residue has been found in many different products like fresh fruit, fish, bread, and baby food. Yikes. 
Yeah, and chemicals do a number on the environment as well. One of the biggest problems with pesticides and herbicides is that they tend to get where they aren't supposed to. Probably the most efficient way to apply chemical products is to spray them, but the wind can sometimes move vapors over 15 miles away from their source. Then, the pesticides and herbicides often hurt plants and animals in the environment that, though people may believe them to be unwanted, are still vital to the natural environment. However, our problems don't end there. Even if the chemicals aren't taken away on the wind, the next good shower of rain can wash it into the surrounding irrigations and eventually into the streams and rivers. It can enter animals either through the direct drinking of polluted water, or if a predator eats an animal that has drank way too much chemical brew. If it can do all this crazy stuff to humans, what could it possibly do to the animals? Good question. Besides just straight up killing plants, insects, and fish, certain chemicals can weaken the immune system of animals, and some can change the gender of young male tadpoles. Wait, why would land chemicals kill fish? Well, sometimes they just work too well. Yikes! Why do people use them if they do all that? Because it can be cheaper, less labor-intensive, and often yields nicer-looking fruit that hasn't been overcrowded with weeds or nibbled on by pests. Does that mean that there are no alternatives? Well, we just need to do our research. Pretty much. As we learned, chemical pesticides can lead to lots of problems. Some pesticides that are natural can still be toxic, and any pesticides can get where they aren't supposed to go, so we need to be careful. Some organic suppliers can be applying natural pesticides as much as twice a month, and some non-organic suppliers can be spraying that much or less. Meanwhile, some organic suppliers don't use any pesticides at all, which is our best bet, but definitely harder to find. So how do we do this? Our best chance is to buy locally at farmer's markets. Not only would you be supporting local businesses, but you can ask the farmer themselves what kind of practices they use for their plants. It's a win-win. Within the world of agriculture, there's many different types of agriculture that come with it. Namely, monoculture versus polyculture. Monoculture is only raising a single crop. It's still monoculture if a certain crop is being replaced by a different crop the next growing season. So for example, if you are a farmer and you only grow corn, but then the next growing season you only grow squash because you're still only growing one crop. Monocropping is the continuous growing of the same crop species on the same land every year without change. So basically if you're a farmer and you only grow corn year after year after year, Polyculture, on the other hand, is raising multiple types of crops. It's a lot better for biodiversity and genetic diversity, food security, and crop resiliency because it's a more natural form of agriculture. Crops are produced by using different methods and practices such as crop rotation, intercropping, alley cropping, multiple cropping, and companion planting. Of course, monoculture and polyculture both come with their own set of pros and cons. For example, Monoculture has the benefits of having a high efficiency, higher earning, it's simpler to manage, and it focuses on specialized production. However, there's pest problems, pesticides resistance, soil degradation, high use of fertilizers, and it's really fossil fuel dependent, which can ultimately hurt the environment. Unlike monoculture farming, polyculture actually uses less land. And that's because with monoculture, a farmer usually needs a large amount of land to separate the crops, which in turn needs a bigger irrigation system so all of the plants get water, and that can be really time-consuming for the farmer. But with polyculture, it's more sustainable because there's less water being put into the crops, and it's more efficient since there's a smaller piece of land. So with natural resources being used more effectively, water and electricity are being saved, which ultimately makes a better yield. There's also a reduction in the number of pests, weeds, disease outbreaks because of the increased variety of plants, thus resulting in polyculture being a more stable and consistent income for farmers. 
as they don't just depend on one type of production. Because having more varied types of production will act as a cushion during the impact of low production days and low prices. But like anything, polyculture does have its disadvantages. Because there's more than one type of plant being produced, it does become difficult for farmers to control and supervise all of the plants that are on their farm. So they have to be really knowledgeable, which can be hard, especially when you're producing a lot of diverse crops. And you can even compare monoculture versus polyculture to our society, because if we were all the exact same carbon copies of each other, then that would be really boring and ultimately it wouldn't be productive, because if everyone thought the same and ate the same, and dress the same, then there's really no individuality. And I think that can be applied to the world of agriculture too. Because we need that biodiversity and it's really important to our planet for ecological life support, like oxygen, clean air and water, and ultimately the natural world functioning as it's supposed to. Each species in an ecosystem has a role to play from the corn plants to you. So it's really important to support the diversity and protect the resources that go along in preserving all of the biodiversity on our planet. Soil is obviously a super important part of agriculture because it's what we grow food in, so it's a big issue when it's messed up. One of these ways soil can become messed up is if it becomes salinized or salty. This happens when crops are waterlogged, which occurs through faulty irrigation, the watering of plants. Waterlogging makes soil salty when water builds up underground and brings salt from the lower layers of the soil to the surface of the soil as it evaporates. This is a major dilemma since salty soil is toxic to plants. Another issue comes from fertilizers, which we've mentioned a little before. The problem with chemical fertilizers is that while they enhance plant growth, they also replace the natural nutrients in the soil. Why is this an issue? Well, soil that is less nutrient-rich grows less nutritional food. Soil with less nutrients is considered depleted, and it grows food with less vitamins and minerals. Finally, let's talk about erosion, the gradual destruction or movement of something. Soil can be entirely removed during erosion, which occurs in a number of ways. Taking away native plants, overgrazing, and the use of annual crops can lead to erosion. In fact, more than a third of the cropland in the world is losing soil faster than new soil is being formed. But how could that be? Plants are important in preventing erosion because their roots physically hold soil in place. So by removing native plants and perennials, this doesn't allow for their roots to grow and hold onto the soil, therefore increasing erosion. As you can see, healthy soil isn't only a super important part of agriculture, but therefore also human life. Agriculture. This ancient practice is an essential part of human existence. Yet there are many problems from both an environmental and health standpoint. However, by harnessing the universal impact of you, change is possible. As a person who eats every day, you probably visit the grocery store quite often. Therefore, Take advantage of your power as a consumer to make a difference. Examine the labels of the produce or other food items you are buying to see the methods and or ideals behind their making. One of these you may remember from our first episode. The Rainforest Alliance certified label ensures that the food in question was grown sustainably in addition to the workers being treated fairly. Another example is the Demeter Certified Biodynamic which, among other aspects, endeavors to keep GMOs as well as synthetic fertilizers and pesticides out of the food. These are only a few trees in the forest, though, and with a watchful eye and a little research, you can make wiser decisions when gathering ingredients to make your famous chili or apple pie. In addition to choices in the supermarket, you can help decrease our society's dependence on monoculture, chemical-using farms in a hands-on way. Simply stated, 
Grow a garden. By growing food in your own yard, you can unlock a plethora of new benefits that each make an impact in various ways. For example, by using compost and even leaf mulch in place of conventional fertilizers, you can decrease the input of harmful chemicals into the soil, and as a result, our groundwater and other natural environments. It's also worth mentioning that growing your own food means less trips to the grocery store. Therefore, you use the car less and thus cut on your CO2 emissions. Don't forget to also shop at local farmers markets. This way, you can find out how the food was grown directly from the farmer themselves. That being said, you are also reducing waste packaging as well as supporting a local business. Finally, research and communication are key to bringing about change in modern agriculture. Take time to learn about how your food is produced. Study the problems it causes and the sustainable solutions that can be reached. Then share your findings with others to spread awareness about this issue. Food is important, and we all need it to survive. Thus, it is imperative that it is grown in the right way, both to keep ourselves healthy as well as the earth that we live on. Did you know that 44% of the waste on this planet is green and food waste? Well, what is food waste? There are two main kinds of wasted food. Food loss and food waste. Food loss is the bigger category and incorporates any edible food that goes uneaten at any stage of its life, in addition to food that's uneaten in homes and stores. This includes crops left in the field, food that spoils in transportation, and all other food that doesn't make it to the store. Some amount of food is lost at nearly every stage of food production. Food waste is a specific piece of food loss, which the U.S. Department of Agriculture's USDA. Economic Research Services (ERS) defines as food discarded by retailers due to color or appearance and plate waste by consumers. Food waste includes the half-eaten meal left on the plate at restaurant, food scraps from preparing a meal at home, and the sour milk a family pours down the drain. So, what can you do? Great question. Several things. Start in the kitchen. Learn what you can do at home to help reduce food waste while cooking. Just because it has a bruise doesn't mean the whole tomato is bad. Try planning meals and chopping in advance. This can lead to you not making too much food or rushing and wasting ingredients. You can learn how to compost at home, or see if your local government has a municipal composting program you can participate in. You can also check local organizations or farms to see if they do drop off. Another way to reduce food waste is by gifting unused food to hunger relief organizations like food banks and pantries. Recycle food waste to feed animals, or to create compost, bioenergy, and natural fertilizers. One thing we want to mention in this podcast before we go is genetically modified organisms, or GMOs for short. These are organisms that have had their genetic makeup modified in a laboratory, normally to try and improve them in some way. However, there are certainly some concerns. It is true that GMOs have been banned in some countries. We are going to have a small segment about GMOs, but as more and more sources were found fighting for both sides of this controversy, we realized that this was an issue much bigger than a small segment. There are perhaps countless websites discussing the risks and benefits of such modified organisms, and we see them. We have not forgotten about this issue, nor should it be forgotten. However, we are hoping to delve into the nitty-gritty of GMOs in a different episode, perhaps an episode solely dedicated to it, because we want to do it justice. Research is important. And we want to do ours. The butterfly effect is the belief that the smallest actions can make big differences. The production of food is perhaps the best example. Each choice made can affect the land around the farm, the waterways down the road, 
and the person eating the harvest miles away. That doesn't mean that there's always a right choice to make. Almost everything has pros and cons that we need to evaluate and make decisions about for ourselves. The only right thing to do is to research your choices so that you can have peace in your decision and don't be afraid to change your mind. You have such an impact, your decisions matter so much, that it's more than okay to make new decisions and a new impact. That's how we grow.